Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, this is a podcast, I'll have you know. So people cannot see me right now, but I will let them know, Trish, I am wearing a bright pink polo shirt today. Are you? Very pink, very bright, Trish. I feel good. I I sort of grown up clothes for the work from home pandemic. So here's my question to you, Trish. What type of clothing is your go-to, whether it's color, style, type, when you want to feel good, you want to feel confident, you want to knock it out, whether it's work or something else, what's your, boom, I'm pulling that out of the closet and I'm putting that on and I'm going to feel good. Oh, I love that. For me, it's a, a dress. If I put on a dress, I feel like it's game time, time to be on stage, time to <laughs> get to business, you know? And I think that's because when I started my career, I was in um, professional services in an accounting firm and we were required to wear business dress all the time. Okay, and so as much as go. we hated it, as much as we hated it, uh, now that it's not really required almost anywhere anymore, it feels almost special. You know, it's kind of like, you know, back in the day, people used to get dressed up to, to take uh, a flight, you know, a flight, for example. And sure. now you, you well, don't really do that. That's going anyway. way back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if I put on a dress and some heels or something, I'm yeah, it's game time. How about you? Yeah, no, I like the pink polo a little bit. I do. I like the, I, <laughs> for me, I'm thinking I'm migrating more to brighter colors. That's where I'll try to do if I want to sort of be up like bright green, pink, yellow, orange. Oh, sure. Let's go for that. That's, that's. That's my thing lately. So uh, that makes good, sense. Yeah, good stuff. Trish is gonna be a fun show today. We've got one of my favorite folks uh, waiting in the wings to join us soon. I think for his first time on the HR Happy Hour show, but folks should probably know him from uh, all the great work he's done. Uh, but before we welcome him, and we're gonna be talking, we're gonna be talking about uh, sort of a new way to architect work and jobs and design for the future for, for more agility in the organization and more flexibility. And I think we all know after the last year plus how important that is for organizations, right. With all the changes that, uh, every organization's had to go through. So we're going to, we're going to be diving into that topic a little bit, but, uh, before we welcome him, Trish, I want to thank our sponsor paychecks. This episode of the HR Happy Hour is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. With the onset of COVID-19, Paychex quickly responded to support businesses and help them manage the new challenges brought on by the pandemic. The Paychex COVID-19 Help Center is the ultimate comprehensive resource hub featuring articles, videos, scenario tools, live webinars, and podcasts that provide valuable and up-to-date insight on stimulus measures, managing a remote or hybrid workforce, travel restrictions, state-specific guidance, and much more. To access this valuable information, go to payx.me. That's payx.me slash help center. It's great stuff on that site too, by the way. I check on it a couple times a week, probably, Trish, and they, they do a great job of keeping that updated. Right. Absolutely. Good stuff, Trish. All right. Let me welcome our guest, Trish. Uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome, for his first time on the show, I believe, Ravan J. Suthasan. He is a recognized futurist, a global thought leader, and author on the future of work and human capital. He has led multiple research efforts on the global workforce, the emerging digital economy, the rise of AI, and the transformation of work. Ravan has also led numerous research projects for the World Economic Forum, including its groundbreaking studies, shaping the future implications of digital media for society, creating a shared vision for talent in the fourth industrial revolution, HR 4.0, shaping people strategies in the fourth industrial revolution, and human capital as an asset, an accounting framework to reset the value of talent 
in the new world of work. And also, Trish, Robin was the last person in real life to speak at HR Tech as he was our closing keynoter back in 2019, which is where I got the chance to meet him uh, in person for the first time. So, Robin, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks, Steve. So great to be with you and Trish here today. Yeah, it's exciting, Robin. It was, uh, we had a great time back in 2019, I recall at the conference, and it occurred to me today as I was getting ready for the show, like, wait, that was the last session we did at HR Tech in real life. So uh, that was, uh, it's kind of good that we've got you on today. Yes, it's, uh, it, it, it's great. I guess that session will live on in infamy. Yeah, well, good. We're going to get you back out there this fall in person again. So that I'll, I'll be working on that with you offline. So, uh, hey, Robin, uh, maybe we could start with this. Maybe give us uh, kind of uh, an update on what you've been up to. I know you've had some changes in your professional life as well as, of course, working on the, the research and the, and the books, et cetera. But maybe give us an update on, on what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. So uh, right in the middle of a pandemic, I chose to switch jobs. Um, <laughs> And so after 27 wonderful years at what was Towers Perrin, that became Towers Watson, and then Willis Towers Watson, I decided to join Mercer. And um, I, it's been three months um, since I joined, and it's been an incredibly busy and crazy three months, but uh, I have absolutely enjoyed it. Um, very different organization, different culture. Um, so some new, new experiences for me. Um, but I take care of the transformation business globally. Um, and that covers everything to do with workforce and organization transformation and HR transformation. Uh, and it's been, a, like I said, a fascinating three months with lots of new friends and uh, colleagues and clients. Yeah, great stuff, Robin. Well, thanks for the update. It is pretty exciting. Kind of an interesting time, right, to make a big career move. And I've talked to a couple of people over the last few months who've got a similar story. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely not, uh, not the normal kind of job change. But, uh, well, good stuff. So, Robin, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the work you're doing uh, and the upcoming uh, book that's coming out soon about work without jobs. And it's really about kind of thinking differently about how we organize both jobs in the organization and, and how we um, deal with people in the organization, or as you refer to in some of the, in some of the work as, as jobs and job holders. And, and maybe we can start with that, Robin, is, is maybe tell us why this sort of legacy model of kind of organizing the work the, the, the company or the organization must do in a job slash job description, and then finding someone to, to occupy that job, why that model maybe has some limitations going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So Steve, as, as you and Trish know, that notion of that, that one-to-one relationship between a person and a position or a job holder and a job is one that has characterized work for centuries, right? It's about 150 years old. And, uh, and it's still, for m- most organizations, the primary means for getting work done. But you know what, what has happened over the course of the last, I would say, six or seven years, um, and it's certainly hit a, um, it's accelerated exponentially with the pandemic, is that we now have a number of things that are happening. First is, we have the convergence of many new technologies. You know, we have cloud-based computing that is accelerating, that is being accelerated by 5G and the mobile web. Uh, We've got AI being accelerated by those technologies. So we've got multiple converging technologies. We also have that other force of work being increasingly democratized. We now have the ability to 
pluck work out of the organization, send it anywhere in the world um, to have it be done anytime um, and at a fundamentally different price point, as well as the option to tap into uh, work options, be they gig workers, the employees of other organizations, um, whether you know alliance partners or outsourcers or potentially even automation in much more seamless fashion. And so the thing that we've observed, um, my co-author John Boudreau and I, as we wrote our second and third books, um, Lead the Work, as well as Reinventing Jobs, and then this upcoming book, Work Without Jobs, is companies are struggling to tap into all of those different means for work. They are finding that their ability to keep up with these new work options and automation um, has, been has been challenged. And it's only when they get beyond this notion of a job and that one-to-one -one relationship between a person and a position that they can actually capture the full value of both the talent they have, the talent they would like to have, as well as the rising automation options. You know, I, I find this whole thing fascinating and I'd be curious, I know you're going to kind of dive into exactly how organizations can start this process, but when you are out speaking, um, whether it be remotely now or even before the pandemic, what kind of questions or maybe even pushback were you getting at, at, at all from, you know, people who were reading your thoughts, your articles, your books, are, or are they very curious and anxious to get started on making these changes? Yeah, great question, Trish. Um, you know, as, as you've rightly surmised, um, people tend to fall into two buckets, right? There are some who are very curious, and particularly because, um, you know, in the last two books I mentioned, and, and certainly with the upcoming one, we have tons and tons of case studies of organizations who have elements of the methodology in practice with some really powerful ROI. Um, so there are many who are curious about that, but there are equally many who, you know, rightly so, struggle to get beyond the legacy, right? The legacy way of working. And it's one of the reasons why in our last book, we actually had the opening quote was that our legacy is increasingly, which used to be our source of competitive advantage for most organizations, legacy of culture, mindset, tool set, relationships, is actually increasingly the primary obstacle to the future of work and the sustainable application of automation. So we certainly saw, you know, the readers and our, our um, potential, um, uh, you know, and, and executives fall into those two buckets of those who saw the benefits with the case studies and others who, you know, found it really difficult to sort of overcome that inertia from legacy. Yeah, thank, uh, thank you, Robin. Uh, I think also, too, one of the barriers, at least from my perspective, because I spend most of my time on the HR tech side of things, and I do feel like there's an enormous um, suite out there or set of suites of HR technologies themselves that are a little bit rooted in this legacy model, too, Robin. Like, wait, we organize the HR system by the org chart, right? We we bucket people into a job description. We hire based on job descriptions, right? When we have to hire a new person or backfill someone who left internally even, right? It always seems to um, 
descend into that, that job, that, that traditional job description. I know that's changing some, and there are even some emerging technologies that are helping organization make these changes. But I don't know, Robin, is that something you've noticed as well over time that even folks who are uh, interested in pursuing a different way of thinking about jobs and, and job holders that they maybe don't have the tools or resources to, to actually be successful with it? Yeah, Steve, you, you've actually hit probably the most challenging aspect of legacy, which is the infrastructure, right? So if you look at most technologies, any, any ERP system today is based on this notion of, that we just talked about, yeah. a person in a position. And it's, I think, Steve, it's one of the reasons why we're seeing, as, as the two of you probably know better than I, one of the hardest areas in HR tech are these internal marketplaces for talent because they transcend and you know that legacy one-to-one in favor of the many-to-many of basically many different skills um, from many different sources, different people being matched to work in many different shapes and guises, whether it's an assignment, a gig, a project, even a job. Mm-hmm. And so we're finding that for many organizations who are using these marketplaces, that they start to present options for getting beyond that legacy that you just talked about. Yeah, I, I think that we are seeing more and more of that. I do agree with that. I wonder too, if it feels like once you take a position with an organization where you're able to have less structure around say a job and have more movement and more motion around what you're doing. Um, it feels easier to do. I wonder though, there might also be those employees who just can't envision maybe, you know, what they might consider sort of job security, right? Without a job, what security do I have with the organization? Is there any of that that kind of comes into play in your thinking on, you know, how do we convince the employees that they still will have security and ability to, you know, move up in the company mm-hmm. without having something that they might feel more concrete to be tied to? Yeah. You know, Trish, that's a really good question. So, you know, the work, when we use the phrase work without jobs, it's for want of a better phrase, it's a little bit of the clickbait, right? <laughs> um, in the sense that it's laying out kind of a potentially um, potentially an extreme view. I think the reality is, and we went back, Trish, and we sort of mapped this out, right? Pre-COVID, we saw, you know, the vast majority of work, you know, if you think of different models of work, right? One is employees and jobs, the traditional way of working. The other is a completely agile skills to work construct. And then something in between like a hybrid model where people are still in jobs, but they have time to take on assignments and projects all still being done within the construct of employment within a company. Um, and so what we saw was pre-pandemic, you know, it was probably like 80% of work being done by employees and jobs. The pandemic really kind of let the genie out of the bottle. And it, it, it started somewhat innocuously because it started off with, oh, now I can work anywhere and arguably work all the time, right? Because we were working at home and there were no nine to five constraints. But what we then started to see were companies, you know, really grabbing the bull by the horns and saying, well, wait a minute, you know, as we look to respond in more agile fashions, now I'm not limited to having Jim in this job take on this particular body of work. I could potentially have Sally or Sue in other parts of the organization who have relevant skills take on an assignment or a gig. And so you started to see those boundaries really start to loosen and in some cases break 
Um, and organizations really looking at pushing forward so that the percentage of work today that's being done by employees in, in full-time jobs is actually coming down quite quickly, but companies are still, even though people are still employees in companies, they're being connected to work through means that are more than just that traditional one-to-one, if that makes sense. Yeah, Trish, you be, that was the you beat me to my question, like my follow up, which was awesome because <laughs> I, I had written in my notes like you know we're we're so entrained to, and I think this is still even true for for newer members of the workforce, right? I'm now I got hired into the organization, say as a I don't know a marketing assistant, and in a year and a half I want to be a marketing manager, right? And like we right, and I, maybe maybe not people uh, the newer folks in the organization don't think that way, maybe they do, but I know we brought were brought up to think that way largely. And um, so it does right. require both um, the organizational uh, approach approach to change, as well as uh, may- maybe even selling some of this to workers themselves, right? As, as being better for their long-term kinds of uh, skills development and opportunities and prospects. That's right, Stephen. And, and I, I think what, one of the things that we're seeing is you've got to have this plurality of means, right, for work, both for the benefit of the organization as well as the benefit of the individual, because I think you'll find there are there is going to be talent, and certainly there's certain lots of bodies of work that need to continue to be done by employees and jobs. You know, there are uh, bodies of work like call centers, where just mm-hmm. the sheer volume requires you to have employees and jobs because that's the most efficient way of doing that work. There are yet other types of work where, because of security or regulation, like in financial services requires an employee in a job with security clearances and all that. But then we're also finding, you know, there's more and more of these options where you get to use these marketplaces to get, give people the opportunity to take on assignments while they still have, you know, working jobs as sort of that, that, that baseline. But they start taking on assignments that allow them to acquire some new skills, to express their interests in different parts of the organization, to explore new bodies of work and start to chart a career pathway that takes them beyond that traditional, you know, the traditional silo that they might've thought about, right? Where I'm the marketing analyst and I can only think of becoming the marketing manager. Now I'm starting to see how my marketing analytics skills maybe can be applied in some different domains. Yeah, Robin, thank you for that. I think what I like too about this approach and and some of the uh, things you've already written about it along with uh, your co-author is that it's not just um, a theory, <laughs> like you're offering some uh, really uh, some concrete steps or some really uh, guidelines or principles, if you will, right, that organizations can begin to think about to, and try to adopt in order to move their organization to, uh, to try to become a little bit more flexible, a little bit more agile. I wonder, um, uh, Robin, if you want to share a couple of these these principles of, of kind of the new work operating system, as you describe it, and, and maybe uh, share with our audience a couple of um, uh, a couple of pieces of advice, say about how you can start thinking a little bit differently about how you approach the organization of work, and the, and then the development and deployment of people. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, at the heart, Steve, of this new work operating system is the capacity and the capability of the organization to deconstruct jobs and understand you know, how do we get to the elemental task levels? And then from an employee perspective, how do I see the full person, not just the headlines of the job this person is in um, or his or her tenure, but what are all their skills, attributes, and capabilities that allow them to contribute in so many different ways? So this 
basic concept of deconstruction of both job and job holder, uh, a sort of an essential starting point. And then the, the four principles that shape the, the, the new work operating system, once you've gone through that deconstruction is, is obviously starting with the work, right? Getting beyond the job to getting at the current and future tasks or work of the organization, asking the question of what's the role of talent versus automation? and specifically ensuring that we're getting to the optimal combination of talent and automation, not based on jobs, but based on the unique needs of various tasks. Um, and then third step would be to say, for the talent side of the equation, what's the best way to connect human talent to the work? What are the different engagement options? Should it be a job? Should it be in a, um, a, a gig? Should it be talent in freelance roles? Should we tap into talent from alliance partners? And then I think that the fourth dimension, the last part of this is to say, now that we've identified the talent, what's the best way to connect that talent to work? Is it in fixed permanent jobs? Is it in some of these hybrid ways of working where people are in jobs, but they get to take on assignments and projects? Or is it in a completely agile kind of construct where talent is flowing and connecting seamlessly to assignments and projects through one of those marketplaces that we talked about? So those are kind of the four principles that frame this new work operating system. I think those are so interesting and thank you for sharing those. I think it's, it's nice how you lay those out because I can imagine, you know, if I'm an, a listener and I'm thinking about like, okay, I, I might already be doing a few of these steps. It sort of seems like it's a, um, a really structured way to think about it, but that isn't too difficult to maybe start implementing in your organization, right? You could start at that you know, just starting by assessing your work, which really, um, when you think about job descriptions might not have been done for many, many years, right? That's something that HR professionals, we always struggled with was having the time to do that. So this could be actually a really good project at the beginning of a year to start thinking about, okay, how are we thinking about work and our people and, you know, development. And this is a really concrete way, I think, to, I don't know, sort of bubble this up to the senior leadership and say, this is, you know, this is why it's important to assess our people right now and maybe start thinking about work a little bit differently. So I really appreciate the fact that you've laid it out in such a clear, clear manner. I know Steve, you're probably thinking similar. I know you've been uh, studying this for a while. Yeah, no, for sure. This has been uh, interesting, an interesting area, I think, over the last maybe year, a little more than a year. And certainly, and I think rather than you, you call this out a little bit too, is that the, the events of 2020 has accelerated some of these transformations, perhaps, right? In organiz or accelerated the need for the transformation, uh, perhaps, maybe uh, not everyone, everyone's there yet. I wonder, I guess, Robin, I'll ask you this, and, and obviously you can keep, uh, you don't have to name names specifically, but are there some examples, one or two, you mentioned you've got some case studies you've worked on. Are there one or two examples you'd like to share where, hey, this, this is how one organization approached this for, for maybe these types of projects or, or this part of their organization. And, and here's how they managed to, um, you know, see some success uh, applying some of these principles. Yeah, um, absolutely, Steve. And I really do think that the gold standard for much of what we call the future of work is probably Unilever. Um, I am totally in awe of that organization and its leadership team and its HR leadership team. I've had the privilege of working with Lena Nair, the CHRO, and her HR leadership team on their framework for the future of work. And the thing to me that 
really characterizes, you know, that, that sort of culture and ethos are, you know, two things, right? This firm anchoring to the purpose of the organization and the larger mission, but also this desire for continuous experimentation. And Trish, you know, you talked about HR leaders, you know, starting to sort of look at job descriptions. And the thing about Unilever is they're always sort of pushing the envelope and trying something new. Um, and it's truly, I think, in the spirit of Agile. And it was, it, to me, it's been fascinating as they have developed this framework for the future of work, looking at how they can use the, um, their marketplace um, as a way of more, in a more agile fashion, connecting talent from all around the world to the work that needs to get done. Thinking of how do we make it easier for people to connect and do their work. So if I'm an employee and I actually need, you know, if I'm tending to an elderly parent at home, I've got a, a child who's home for school because of COVID, I get to adjust my work arrangements to go on to some base hours of work and take on projects and, and step out of, in a safe zone, out of my, my full-time job and you know, take, have the work split among different colleagues. Um, they also, with their platform, as COVID was hitting, um, started to use the platform in a way to start to figure out how, do, how is the demand for our products gonna change? And there's this great example out there of they basically, instead of opening a rec for a data scientist to help model the impact of the pandemic on their different products, they posted it to their marketplace. And in literally hours had some of their best data scientists and developers from around the world take on the project. They swarmed together and built this new algorithm that predicted you know, sanitation products and things to keep people clean and to keep um, homes clean were gonna exponentially go up in demand and other things were gonna go down. And they were able to realign their product portfolio and their production facilities in record time to this demand. And the only way they were able to do it was because they were able to tap the ingenuity and skill of their employees from around the world and get them working on an assignment that in the past may have taken you know, weeks and months to sort of organize if we had this legacy notion of just jobs is the only way in which work was gonna be done. Um, so they, to me, are just a great example, Steve, of experimentation, mm -hmm. some great success stories. And their CEO just uh, last month came out with um, a letter that talked about the success of this marketplace in helping Unilever innovate and essentially meet their people where they are. So it's, uh, it's to me, they're just a, a, an outstanding example of um, pushing the envelope on many of the ideas we talk about in this book. Yeah, Robin, that is a great example. And it just uh, made me think of um, a few of these. Uh, again, I approach things a lot from the, the tech side. And it was interesting last year when I was running through lots and lots of software demos uh, before HR Tech that I saw three or four uh, applications or manifestations of that idea of that talent marketplace. The, they, and they all called it a little bit something different and they all worked a little bit differently, but underlying them, I think Robin was basically these, this essential idea that you're talking about, which is um, thinking about work differently than just the job and thinking about people differently as just the holder of said job, right? And, and that's exactly what they're, they're designed to do. And they're not all perfect <laughs> and they, they each have some limitations. One thing, Robin, I don't know if you have a comment on this. It just occurred to me a couple of weeks ago, I did a show 
with a couple of professors from MIT, and we were talking about workforce education and training and development. And one of their ideas they had was, you know, for more organizations to kind of uh, in a in a local area to combine forces, right, to support uh, training and developing and upskilling initiatives of, of local uh, labor pools. And I push back a little bit to say, well, you know, most organizations don't really want to share that information with each other. Like, oh, I'm having a hard time hiring for skill X, Y, Z, et cetera. And uh, I'm wondering if that kind of uh, that's come up at all either, because especially when you think about um, tapping uh, more diverse labor pools, whether it's gig platforms or freelancing and uh, et cetera, like this, the notion that the organization always wants to keep their data very close to the vest. You know, that, that's a really great question, Steve. And um, there's an outstanding example. Um, and it's not the only example, I'm sure, but there's a great example just right here in my backyard in my, my uh, hometown here in Chicago. Um, so the City Colleges of Chicago um, do a really interesting thing. So instead of having your, um, your regular associate's degree, right, which is your, you know, your, your two years, what they've done is they have focused each of the city colleges on a particular industry and a particular type of skill set. So one of the schools is focused on the financial services industry. And they have something like, I wanna say 17 or 19 financial institutions, some of the largest banks and insurance companies uh, in the world, who all have offices here in Chicago. And those organizations help them curate the learning content. And so, so what people are learning are things that those companies you know, uh, it's the work and skills required by those companies today and in the future. So you have this direct link between what people are learning and the work that's to be done. The thing to me that is really compelling, Steve, is not only do you have these companies coming together to curate it, but in Chicago, um, particularly for kids going through Chicago public schools, um, going to one of these city colleges is free. Um, mm. So you have children from impoverished neighborhoods on the west side and the south side who get these very specific technical skills um, and with these highly focused associates degrees um, in their first two years. In addition, the companies that are basically helping curate this and essentially bringing, you know, sharing with the, with the city colleges where their businesses are going in those areas, provide the kids with paid internships, um, you know, between their first and second years. And then when they graduate, they are all guaranteed jobs. To me, it's such a great example of the power of a city with its educational infrastructure with the business community, creating a pathway for kids from impoverished neighborhoods to not just get this two-year degree, get the work experience, and, but also to get employment all without the burden of college debt. To me, it's like just such an outstanding story of, of collaboration. Um, and I do think we're going to see lots more of that, Steve. Yeah, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that, Robin. I know it was a little bit aside from our topic today, but it just it made me, it reminded me, sometimes these shows, Trish, we do lots of them. And I'm always interested and fascinated when a conversation in one show makes me think of one from another show, even if it was not oh, exactly the same subject. This has been super fascinating. R Robin, uh, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it here and just uh, encourage folks to connect with you. First of all, we want to thank you for taking some time with us today uh, and uh, really appreciate that. Uh, connect with Robin at uh, Robin J. Suthasen on LinkedIn, on Twitter, RobinJSuthasen.com. We'll put the links in the show notes. The upcoming book, uh, I don't know when it's coming out, Robin, pretty soon, I hope, but uh, uh we'll We'll make sure folks can find that as well. Yep. 
No, it's been such a pleasure, Steve and Trish. The book actually will be published by MIT and it comes out next spring. Okay. But, uh, we do have a Sloan Management Review article now and uh, another plan for the fall. That's great stuff. And like I said, I'm going to twist your arm and get you back to HR Tech to, uh, to come back <laughs> and take the stage. Oh, my pleasure. I'd love to. Awesome. Well, good stuff. All right, Trish, great, great stuff today. I really, really love this kind of conversation and I'm uh, super, super glad we were able to do it. Yeah, this was fascinating. Thank you so much, Robin. It was really, really fascinating. All right, everyone, let's thank our friends at Paycheck one more time, paychecks.com for uh, all the information there. And we thank them for all their support. And we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on the HR Happy Hour show. As always, find all the show archives at hrhappyhour.net. Thanks so much for listening. For Robin, for Trish McFarland, my name's Steve Bowes. We'll see you next time. And bye for now.